0: On program On program Hands on head, eyes front, feel the floor Do it You two, on program now On program Now Do it This station is now the ultimate power in the universe I'm perfect. I suggest we use this On program now on program. Well, hello there, boys and girls. Welcome to the show. This is on program, and we're coming to you almost live from somewhere in the galaxy. And uh, we're here to discuss the penultimate episode of season three of The Mandalorian. I could not be more excited. I've got my fiancee Lauren in the studio today. Hello. Hey, how you doing? It's great to have you. Dandy. <laughs> Joining us, as always, uh, my friend Michael B. How's it going? My friend Eric B. EB standing by. <laughs> I love it, man. This It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to get into it, and it starts right now. Ooh! Okay, let's get into it. This episode was... So good. It was better than most of the other ones that we've seen so far. Like I said, there's some other ones that are on that sort of Mount Rushmore that it's hard to beat. You know, Luke in the finale of season two, uh, um, Boba Fett coming back. You know, there were some big moments in this show that uh, Ahsoka, what am I doing? Uh, There's a lot of stuff, but this one, it's it's right there on the short list. I'm going to say this right out the gate. Huge spoiler warning. It's been four or five days. I'm going to assume everybody, if you're finding this random Star Wars podcast, you've probably seen the show. But just in case, go watch it and then come back and chill with your homies and uh, and we'll get into it. But I want to go around the room and everybody who has seen the episode, side-eyed to Lauren, uh, sound off and, and tell me what you thought about it. Give me your first, like, uh, just broad strokes thoughts and I'm going to kick it over to Michael first.
1: Oh, it was excellent. I think you you tied it up nicely. Uh, probably the best of this season, although there have been some pretty good high points of this season already. Um, right up there with the best of, of Mandalore of the Mandalorian series thus far. And, you know, starting to get into that andor competition, I think. It was real it was real good. I don't have a lot of negative to say about this
0: one. Ha! What a shock. That's rare. I'm gonna write that down in my calendar. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, uh, kick it over to you. What do you have to say?
2: Ed, Mike, Lauren, I only got three words for you: thank the maker. <laughs> After six episodes of just, you know, kind of like trying to get through it, like eating my vegetables through dinner, I mean, this episode had pace, it had substance, uh, it was compelling. It, it, you know, from the first, the first shot all the way to the end credits, I was invested in every moment of this episode, and. You know, I think it's just lived up to my expectations that were set, um, that high bar that was set in seasons one and two. So I, w- I was super excited about, about The Spies.
0: Amen. No, yeah, it was great. It was awesome. Uh, and, and I think we're going to just take our time, sort of meander the way through it. Um, and then, uh, but before we get started, I kind of want to dive into the main question, you know, the bottom line up front, as it were. Uh, the episode's called The Spies. And in this episode, we see, we see a spy. We see Elijah Kane talk to Gideon on that viper droid in the very beginning. Um who is the other spy? That's the question. I want you guys to think about the answer uh and then and then at the end we'll 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 discuss that. But that's the main point. I I'm I've seen a lot of theories online, uh, a lot of postulation, a lot of people just really getting at it and uh, I want to know where we all stand on that. So we'll get there. But Starting out the episode, like I said, Eliak Kane talks to Gideon. That was the triumphant return of Moff Gideon. It was cool to see him. It was cool to see Coruscant looking very, very Blade Runner, you know? Um, that was very exciting. I just, I'm just i just tickled every time we get to see Coruscant again. Um, but then it cuts to Gideon walking through his sort of, you know, deep secret base. There, He's flanked by these new troopers that we'll probably see later on in the episode, and... And he's going through this very Phantom Menace power grid, uh, you know, sort of security system, kind of reminiscent of like a get smart type situation. And then he goes in (laughs) on an already going in progress meeting of the Imperial Shadow Council. And I don't know about you guys, but being a total legends head and just a cannon junkie, when I saw that imp officer over in the corner, I saw the captain sigil and I was just like, ah! is it is it is that who i think it is is a pelion and it's all the mustache It's like oh, come on don't that's that's a great pelion and then they they introduced him as captain gilad pelion and i was just I, I, oh my god it's like it's that mad lad gilad i was so happy to see him back and that was amazing perfect casting he had the seventh fleet sigil on his uh on his shoulder i was over the moon what you guys think of the shadow council eric you first
2: no, I thought I honestly I wasn't prepared for it. So when when he walks in the room with all the hollow projections going, um, I, I was just I was just overwhelmed with excitement. Um, just just to see uh, and get a sense of things that we always felt were were in the in the shadows. You know, just just this large imperial remnant that um, isn't as unorganized and um, selfish as as you know the New Republic may think. Um, it just it really just. Uh, fed my appetite for more and wanting wanting to know more. I wanted to know more about the backstories and the actions and the the individual plays of each one of those uh, imperial officers and and how they're furthering the return of the empire.
0: And they couldn't do us a favor and name most of them. You know, like they named Galad and I, and I'm I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth, but the rest of them, as Michael pointed out before we got on air here, they're all just named Warlord. So you know the trivia except had- for okay
1: except for Brendel Hux. oh yeah speaking of fantastic casting it. how about that they got they got hucks's uh brother to play his dad which is really great i thought that was brilliant brilliant casting well done
0: absolutely and you know when and i'm going to talk about hucks a good bit here R- refresh my memory have either of you read the aftermath trilogy by chuck wendig I'm okay.
1: I'm starting it now. I'm oh, that's, like the, it that's one of the only ones. That one in Phasma, are like the only ones I haven't got through in that era.
0: It's funny because he is very heavily featured in all all four of those books. It's yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Phasma is a great one, Um, and you get to see Brendel Hux quite a bit in all of those books, uh, and you get to see the the Shadow Council as well. It ends up being dissolved in the end of the uh, in the aftermath books. But uh but I guess it was resuscitated and uh and brought back. So so Brendel Hux is is very, very important. Obviously he's the he's the father to Armitage Hux, who we see in The Force Awakens and, and then on. But um very very integral to the rise of the first order. Now what I thought was interesting was I thought I had a, a sort of headcanon theory that Thrawn was what they were building to and that he was going to be a returning sort of imperial faction maybe the seventh fleet was out in the unknown regions and he comes in and they sort of loosely recanonize the thron campaign but the first order final order whatever you want to call it was was still out there unknown this was a very big development that all these factions are communicating and talking michael what'd you think
1: yeah, I agree. Thinking of the Bloodlines book, um, which you should read, I think, is a, is a great book that kind of talks about this similar area. It's a little later than what we're seeing now. But as far as the New Republic is concerned, as far as Leia is concerned, kind of our, our main characters, the new the, the First Order didn't really start until years after this. So it's very interesting to see all this sort of happening and then kind of this conflict between sort of the setup of the New Republic, the people that are the, the, the remnant that is still kind of main, trying to maintain their imperialness and then, of course, you have Moff Gideon, who's clearly has his own motivations through all of this. He's doing his own cloning on the side, you know, which is clearly not the same as Project Necromancer, mm-hmm. whatever that could possibly be. Right, right. Um, it's so he's not with the Thrawn group. He's not with the Necromancer potentially first order group. So Moff Gideon is kind of doing his own thing, even though he's part of this this council. It's very interesting.
0: And and it was awesome because you know when he went around the room, right? He said secrets are my stock and trade, and he said, but I I do. All that's required for my sector. No more, no less. And then he said, and everyone else in this room, right? And they all said, oh, yeah, of (laughs) course. Yes,
1: oh, definitely. (laughs) Definitely.
0: And so we know he's full of it. So I assume the rest of them are as well. Um, Can can I just point out something kind of
1: funny about that particular scene, too? He's standing in the room full of holograms, right? He Mm -hmm. walks into the center of the circle and he's standing and walking around in circles talking to them. Assuming that they all have very similar hologram setups, I gotta wonder how hilarious he looks. Like they're all standing in a neat circle, and then one of these guys is over here twirling while he's <laughs> walking around in circles <laughs> talking to them. I'm just thinking from their perspective, on the other end of the hologram, this has got to look kind of funny.
0: Probably Holograms. like
1: rolling their eyes at his how ostentatious he is.
0: Holograms have never made sense, and I don't uh, nah, think it's true. maybe they're auto
1: correcting to... for his angle as he's stepping, you know. <laughs>
0: um, Eric, you have any other thoughts on the Shadow Council?
2: No, it's just um, know I'm completely satisfied with the scene because it left me wanting more. It um seeing the tie-ins and the connections to to, you know other other parts of the of the stories, you know, some written, some unwritten at this point. Mm. Um, I'm just uh, just excited to see how they're going to connect to those in the future.
0: Well, so now we'll move forward to cutting back to Navarro uh din it cuts back to din and and them you know reuniting the 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 mandalorian fleet that has just been reunited in the last episode is landing and uh grief karga comes out and he presents din with a gift it's ig12 and converting to this sort of mech suit for grogu and it was adorable um eric you're a parent <laughs> what was that like uh seeing that little uh, excited little baby
2: well, geez, you know, I was uh, I, I totally did not I totally did not see that coming. So once again, another, another surprise, another wonderful surprise, um, you know, and to kind of see, you know, um, some of the humanity of kind of what I would consider the humanity and the relationship of Din and Grogu, you know, the, the protective father, the uh, the uh, the impetuous child wanting more, ready, ready to do <laughs> more, capable of doing more, improving that, Um you know, I thought, uh, you know, when the Anzalians were brought in, I wondered where they were going to go with that and if it was uh, going to be meaningful or not. But I think certainly giving, you know, Grogu graduating from, um, you know, from the from the carriage um, to to his own set of wheels, I think is uh, <laughs> yeah. it was a, was a very, very bold step.
0: Yeah, no, it was it was awesome. And then him walking through the market as well. Uh, yeah, it was it was very, very funny hearing him just just spam the yes button. Michael, what, what do you think? You got any thoughts on that uh, bit in particular?
1: Yeah, I think one of the more frustrating things about this season has been what seems like a lot of build and setup and then no payout, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, we did get to see a little bit of that in the Shadow Council, there's clearly something more to come of the Dr. Pershing thing but this ig11 thing was also another one where like we spent a lot of time like an episode and a half or so with him or maybe it was just the first episode thinking somehow he's going to mount ig11 to his ship as a as a uh, hood ornament or something Mm. but you know it was good to see that there was some sort of payout that that mattered in the end um i don't know how i feel about it being a robot suit it kind of seems like with only two hand controls I'm i'm confused as to how it all works and we didn't really see it in combat but um yeah, it was it was definitely good. and I I also appreciated the pacing. They didn't linger on it too long. They yeah. You know, it was funny, it was cute. We got to see, you know, him walking through the streets, but it wasn't just like 30 minutes of that. You know, it was good.
2: All right. Yeah, I agree, Michael. I mean, so much of so much of the problems that I saw in preceding episodes were were issues of pace. And I thought that the pacing, um, there was a you know just a right amount of time spent in each of these shorter arcs or introductions to further you know, stories in the future, but I thought the pacing was great this episode.
0: Absolutely. So at this, at this point, they, uh, they unite the Mandalorians and they say, Hey, it's time. We're going to go, uh, we're going to go send a sounding party and, and get the fleet. We're going to go retake Mandalore. And, uh, and then they, and then they go off and do that. And they, they land on the planet. It's a pretty, it's a pretty awesome scene. You see the gauntlet loaded up. You see them, you know, uh, get eyes on the planet and, the two factions, you know, the the children of the Watch who are steeped in this culture, uh, maybe a little too much, right? They're like fundamentalist cult, all in on it, and they're they've never even seen the planet, right? And then you've got the people like Costco uh, Reeves and Axe Wolves, and the, you know they've seen the planet, uh, but in you know in the eyes of the children of the Watch, they're they've lost their way, right? So it was kind of cool to see them both interact, uh, but then they land and. Uh, they they begin looking around the planet trying to to make sense of what's there and they run into some survivors it was pretty fascinating um what what do you guys think of the uh of the Mad Max Fury Road pirate uh, Mandalorian's that we saw there and I'll start with you Eric
2: Yeah you know what I um I wasn't I wasn't surprised by it I thought something like that might happen um You know, kind of gave way to maybe my only misgivings with the episode, which is I didn't understand um the you know why the monster comes out of the ground at the end when they already arrive on their surface ship. You know, going back to you know of of, you know why they couldn't stop or turn. Yeah, or yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean, but um, but anyway, I mean, but you know, I didn't I didn't know why that was there, but you know, I was I was. I was excited because I was hoping to see that, you know, that Mandalore that we've already established, it wasn't cursed. Um, it was capable of sustaining life, breathable air and all that, um, that there would be, um, despite the Empire's attempts in the Night of a Thousand Tears, that there are still Mandalorians. There are still um, little clans, little little groups of them scattered about um, trying to, you know, make their way through their, you know, post-apocalyptic yeah, world. Yeah, sure. So. I was I was excited. I was excited to see them there. And I and I, I have definite theories about them um, later on in the discussion. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah.
0: We'll get there for sure. But um I, I liked, and Michael, you can chime in here, but uh I liked seeing Grogu and his new suit be the one to break up that fight. I thought that was really, really cool. It was a nice nod uh to the fact that he's he's part Jedi as well, right? His his sort of uh, you know, ability to see the bigger picture. Maybe, maybe he, even Din though it was, was like I didn't young. teach him that. <laughs> yeah, right. It was it was great. Um, I I loved that. I loved that uh, the Foundling was the one to bring these clans together because, in a way, I mean, Din is a Foundling, and and he was the one that forged the you know forged the bond in the first place. So I thought that was a nice little. Uh, continuation, right? Because while he's not fully Mandalorian, he's got the best parts of his father and and some of the the Jedi as well. Um, what do you think, Michael? Anything you want to add to that scene? Uh, rewinding a little bit from the fight there, I think a lot of what we
1: learned more about the Mandalorian lore and the history there. That you know, the night of a thousand tears is a separate event from the purge and what Bo-Katan was doing during that time. How she feels about it. How the the children of the Watch really see the the i guess the um the the night owls and the the rather the whatever's left of the death watch how they see them less as apostates like they felt like dinjarin was but more just like they fall like they're not even honorable like they're not even mandalorians at all they're not like yeah. they've fallen away they, they just don't even have the honor or anything that they respect so it was really cool to see dinjarin specifically like warming up to bo katan kind of Breaking down, if he had any reservations about her before, he kind of really laid it all out. It's like, hey, listen, I think that you have the honor. He kind of changed maybe how he was thinking about Mandalorians as having to be, you know, adhering to this Children of the Watch uh, religion and more. It's more about the honor. It's more about there's more to being a Mandalore than just keeping your helmet on. Yes, yes. And that was really great to learn all of
2: that and see all the characters kind of coming through that together.
0: And not for nothing, it was I a think, really. I
2: think, and if I could, I think their yeah, warrior connection comes out in that. You know, I think, yep. uh, um, you know, when when they're f- flying over Mandalore and the children of the Watch are looking down at Mandalore and, and what's left of it, and uh, obviously you can feel that they're they're feeling a connection to that. You know, and then Axe Wolf said that he was there that night that it all happened, and I I feel like that was like a seminal moment between those two groups where. You know, so uh, we may we may think different things about uh, and have different beliefs, but we're still man. Mandal- we're, we're all Mandalorian now. And um, there was a grudge. There was a respect there. I thought that that was there from Paz Vistola to axe.
0: Yes. And 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 more specifically with Din to, to Bo-Katan, it was really, really neat because she has been so just hell bent to possess the lightsaber, or the lightsaber, the, the darksaber, control it. And uh you know, and she's been fixated on the, the Mythosaur and just finding these sort of these sort of sigils and things to unite the people and it was it was kinda neat, where just you know, just, just said it, crystallized it It said, Your song is not yet written and I will serve you until it is. I follow you because of the things you do, your honor and all this. And that was, you know, to your point, Michael, it was really, really awesome to see that. I've been saying hey. from day one, I, I want them to, I want to see them move beyond this sort of dogmatic uh, fundamentalist view of ancient ways and warrior culture and all this and, and really embrace a wide of view, right? And and you know, but like what what uh, Satine was doing in the in the beginning, maybe not full pacifism, right? But but definitely a, a broader view of what it means to be a Mandalorian. I loved it.
1: Yeah, it was it was great too to hear. Like we learned, I feel like we learned so much about their culture in her little story about what she what happened and how she did surrender and how it didn't pan out. We learned so much again to talk about pacing. They crammed so much in there, and they have crammed so much in this season. But it hasn't always felt like they've spent the appropriate amount of time talking about everything. And in this one, even we even learned that the children of the Watch really didn't know anything about the Darksaber, which was very interesting. Kind of recontextualizes what we heard the Armorer tell him about the Darksaber, because as far as they were concerned, they really know who Bo-Katan was. They didn't really know who the Darksaber was, or what the Darksaber was, which is really interesting for Paz Vizsla's character, too. If you think about that scene in the Boba Fett series where he's basically learning that it was created by one of his ancestors, it's almost like light bulb goes off. He didn't even know about it. He didn't even care about it. He's just like, I want that. Yeah, and immediately fight. challenges. He's like, yeah. that sounds like it's mine. It's not about ruling Mandalore. It's more about like, oh, that's that should that belongs to me then. OK,
0: exactly. Uh, so moving ahead, we've got the monster that I think we all generally didn't see the point of and didn't really enjoy. It was a mythosaur fake out, that's all it was. Yeah, fair enough. Yep, that's that's exactly what we all thought probably. Oh, it's a mythosaur and then it was uh, oh, it's just a rock monster. Okay. And then uh and then so they they all jump ship, they leave uh the armorer takes the the wounded away and they dig in and go into what they they say are the mines of Mandalore. The survivors and all these folks, they get there and then they're immediately jumped by these new this new variant of Imperial super commandos and that then a very very tense action sequence uh, you know happens there. Ax jumps away, says he's gonna go get some reinforcements. And then they, they fight through the hallways. The rock corridors slowly become an imperial base, and nobody really notices that <laughs> somehow. I'm and- sure we all
1: <laughs> think of the same thing. Like, no one's noticing this ruined city starting to look an awful lot like the Death Star now, just you. Okay, exactly. everybody on the internet says adrenaline. It was adrenaline. They yeah, just it, didn't notice. Hey, they were too busy fighting. Fair Every
0: enough, way. fair enough, right? And then they get there, and then they see just a whole host of tie interceptors and we're able to finally cross that wire and know that it was Moff Gideon who ordered uh, the, the destruction of Bo-Katan's palace uh, earlier. But, uh, but then there, and then, then the doors slam and they're trapped. Din is separated from the rest of the gang and uh, he's, he ends up getting captured and Moff Gideon shows up in his new dark trooper suit, takes his helmet off, monologues a bit, Takes Din away, and then uh, and then Bocatan says, "You know, <laughs> I want to, want to get you." And uh, you know, he just says, "Hey, you're going to give me that dark saber back." And then they escape. They fight because because they open that door, and Paz Vizsla sacrifices himself in a moment of just sheer awesome badassery, and it kills every single <laughs> Mandalorian super trooper that was there, and uh, and and allows everyone else to escape. And that was just just sheer brilliance. And I'd love to hear both of your thoughts. I'll start with you, Eric, and then uh, and then Michael.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, what a what a climactic end to that episode. Um it just kept building and building and building, um, and and it di- it didn't end until, until Paz Vizla's you know dying breath. I mean, and I, I say that with reverence because uh, it was it was amazing. You know the one thing. I mean, I agree with everything that you said. The one thing you didn't mention was the sheer terror I was feeling during that battle, as we're watching. You know the armor and the gauntlet heading back up to the fleet. You know, trying to get through that that you know atmosphere that was a barrier to to between you know um, planet planet side and then and then space. And all I could think of was like, oh my god, she's going to come out of that into space, and she's going to see. Right, like battle thing yeah yeah like, yeah, like, I was like thinking the, the same Mandalorian thing. fleet's gonna be being decimated by Imperial star destroyers and you know, TIE fighters and and so I was like, I, I, I literally I don't think i I don't think I took a full breath mm, until until on, I saw the fleet in full <laughs> view and that it was and that it was unharmed at the time. but but yeah, you know, to see you know to see the Mandalorians, you know, um, not just you know, kind of going back to episode three of the first season when you see the covert come out and uh saved in from uh from grief Karga's you know band of mercenaries um to see to see them in combat mode to see them you know pushing forward um and then and then yeah the slow realization that hey we're not we're not in some cave anymore or some subterranean destroyed city we're actually in a full blown imperial facility yeah. um that that i mean that that again it was just another Another wow moment amongst many wow moments in this episode to me anyway.
0: Absolutely. Michael, talk about Gideon and talk about what you thought about that suit. And then, of course, anything else that jumped out at you?
1: I mean, I thought it was really funny when he jumps down and, and the the subtitles, because I watch the subtitles, tried to hide. They're like the dark trooper says and everyone's like, really, does anybody not know this is Gideon? Is anybody <laughs> not expecting this? Like, come on, it's it's Gideon. We all know it even sounds like his voice. Um, I have some very interesting questions about the design of his armor, the the horns on his helmet. Um, he's chosen to take on the sort of diamond structure, the chest piece of the Mandalorian kind of armor, not just taking their pieces. I think an important note that he said was that it's it's Beskar alloy, mm-hmm. not just straight Beskar. There's some interesting little nuggets in there that are important. Um, there are some very frustrating points there when he's they're arguing through a blast sealed door somehow and can still hear each other. <laughs> Um, there's a, there's a frustrating frustrating point details. Right, right, right. I was, hold
2: on, hold on,
0: hold on, Uh, hold hold on, hold on. 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 I was watching it. I was watching the episode and I clocked that. I was like, I would bet you any amount of money. Michael's going to be like, this was epic. This was amazing. How can they talk through the door? I loved every bit of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's true, right? (laughs) And, And I'm sure we're all thinking, well, you know, there's glass and they're clearly able to talk through this door that seems to be at least a foot thick they start shooting at it all you know the whole fog of war thing to escape was great but like i'm sure we're also all thinking just use the dark saber to cut through the door just use the dark sab- like cut through the forward door why are you you know and i wanted to see her at least try and then you know put a gun to his head and say don't do it give her a reason because otherwise it's like i don't know what what glass is in star wars world it's not transparent aluminum or you know it's clear durasteel i don't know what it is
0: transparency um
1: transparent steel okay but anyway i'm assuming it's not lightsaber proof so she probably could have sliced right through there and shot him in the face as soon as he took his helmet off i don't know uh otherwise super cool very intimidating i don't know if you guys noticed the super commandos as we're calling them did have some sort of rank and color system going on some of them had red earpieces and red gloves some of them didn't i thought that was interesting um of course we get to see the uh uh we get to see paz Vizzle just absolutely destroy them uh, there were a couple of them. He just literally knocked off the cliff, and I'm was like, "You have jetpacks; you can use." <laughs> Fog of war. Just, they forgot, and then
0: they died.
1: <laughs> you know, Smash Brothers. You knock them off the uh the ledge. There, they're out. You know, it doesn't count. So, um, but all that was super incredibly epic. It was very cool to see his gun overheat and just go ham on them. And then the Praetorian guards. I'll let somebody else talk about those because I don't have a lot of context besides Last Jedi.
0: No, the the Praetorian Guards were really really awesome. They were name dropped earlier in the episode in the Shadow Council and I, and I wasn't really sure if they were going to show up this time or or not. But then when Paz Vizla's done and he it just murks everybody left and I'm thinking, "Hey, maybe he might actually get out of this. And I think the character was thinking that as well. And then, uh, and then of course the other shoe drops and these three guards walk out and their armor, while obviously reminiscent of what we saw in the last Jedi, different. it was different. And honestly, like holes. really, really cool. Holes, yeah. The eye holes, like it looked very <laughs> important. Spartan. Uh, you know, it was like a mix of Mandalore meets uh, Leonidas. And it was just, it was awesome. And the way they fought, their weapons they were more
1: like magma guard weapons too. They're a little less lightsabery than they are.
0: C- correct it was more purple than uh, than the mm-hmm. sort of uh, i can't even remember what the the voltage was was it was it red yeah it was red it had to have, yeah i think it was they last were red, red. Yeah. yeah they were red um and then so you know so, but they one of the main critiques of the last jedi in that scene was the way they were rather ineffectual because they were not uh, working together and <laughs>
1: they fought I, one on that side. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
0: so <laughs> the way they did that this time where they just so effectively <laughs> just took him down and uh and you know put an end to to Paz Vizla and made his heroic sacrifice complete uh it was it was heart-wrenching but also awesome in a way uh it was very very cool to see um, that whole scene man just the way the end of Paz's character was just so epic you know I try not to throw around that word so it doesn't sound like it's 2008 right but it really really was it was just very very epic um it was it was cool
1: but i you know not to throw any criticisms in there too hard because i i wouldn't necessarily have seen it anyway but i do start to wonder if he was able to take them all down right what if the mandalorians hadn't tried to run what if instead as soon as he walks through they open the door he walks through what if bo katana cut the hole through the other door and they all flooded in there and could they have taken down the praetorian guards or would they have all just died um, I think there's some interesting questions there too. Oh, is, are the Praetorian armor, is it Veskar also? Uh, or was it just convenient that his guns ran out of ammo and then they showed up? Well, you know? yeah, no, there's I mean, it's... There's questions there, but it's, it, you know another one of those heat of the moment things where you're like, yeah, whatever, they made the decision, the plot had to happen.
0: Well, it certainly wasn't Beskar in The Last Jedi. I'll say that. But uh, but yeah, no, just just awesome. And, and I'm left wondering so many things for the finale. I cannot wait. But now I want to shift into some of the, the, the more niche topics uh, for this week. And the main one was, who is that other spy? Uh, and, you know, I've got a theory. I think everyone else does. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Eric, make your pitch. Who was it?
2: Well, you know, the, the, the title of the episode isn't the spy, it's the spies. So I don't think it's just one. I mean, I kind of find it hard to believe that you've got these Mandalorian survivors on the planet, um, who are unaware, uh, and kind of, you know, are surprised when they, you know, run down the tunnels to go underground and happen to find an Imperial facility. So, um, you know there was always a question you know uh when the lambda shuttle was found in space um, by captain tiva and there was alloy, beskar alloy there um we wondered you know was it was it another mandalorian covert was it uh mandalorians maybe that were bought off and paid by the empire uh so so to me i th- i think uh, part of the um, group of spies um, that the episode implies uh includes the the three The three musketeers, if you will, who show up out of nowhere and lead our 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 daring um, protagonists down (laughs) into the trap.
0: Man, that's very interesting because, you know, I had heard people mention them, um, but uh, but I hadn't heard the, you know, the piece about how the episode is plural, because so often it's the gunslinger and then there's two gunslingers in the episode or you know the whatever else you know these other episodes where this happens the foundling the apostate whatever uh and and there's always two but it's singular in the episode itself so that's a very interesting nugget I, i don't know if it dissuades me from my theory but definitely something i hadn't clocked and i appreciate you bringing that up but michael what do you uh what do you think? Who are you pitching? So
1: before I before I dive into my potential theory here, I do want to say I have I have some support and counter arguments for that same thought about the, the Mad Max Mandos. Um, for one, to to give them some credit, if if you were living on a planet and your best mode of transportation was some sort of windboat, you're pretty landlocked, right? You're on a continent. If there was if there happened to be a bad guy base where people were taking on a not, you know, the biggest ship we've seen Moff Gideon have is this light cruiser um if he's on the other side of the planet planets are pretty big you would never know he was there and if no one's coming in and out to to maybe give them some grace if if not just say it was very convenient timing plus i would question why do they have these they had these like wounded with them and and how did that work but but to your point they have the most motivation out of anybody right they were abandoned by their own people Maybe these are also, you know, rebel-style super commandos. These are Mandalorian traitors that have been working with Gideon. Maybe it's all an act. Maybe it's fake. Don't know. Um, I think one of the most interesting theories, maybe not the one I believe myself, but one of the more interesting theories people have brought it is that the armor, Um, there's a really obvious tie-in between, oh, she's got horns on her helmet, and Gideon has has horns on his helmet, and, oh, she conveniently left the battle right before it happened. So those are kind of, I think, the low-hanging fruit um there's some more interesting. it wasn't
2: destroyed in orbit it wasn't
1: yet it wasn't yet right but he hadn't sent his ships to go blow it up either um but yeah i was right there with you on the edge of my seat waiting like oh no not the kids you know which we kind of presume are on this light cruiser too um so but i think there's some other questions about the armor and how she's acted and things she's done that might bring this into question for first of all who made the imperial super commando armor because in in rebels it's Beskar armor, but as far as we're aware, the, the Mandalorians are working with them to make this. So unless Moff Gideon himself is a Mandalorian, which is a theory that's out there, I say who who made the armor? Who taught them how to make the armor? Um, the forge on Mandalore is destroyed as far as they can tell. It's not lit, so they, they have a forge somewhere where they're able to craft Beskar armor. That's one theory why it could be her. How did she know if she only ever lived on the moon of Concordia and all this stuff? How did she know about the Darksaber? How did she know about Bo-Katan? there's some thoughts there how she could but she know, seems to know an awful lot for somebody who's like a this religious cultist who lives on other planets and doesn't even know these other mandalorians exist um she has there's some i have some long standing questions about the whole children of the watch ideology um did everybody freeze here is it just me no i'm yeah, you're, you're um, sorry so so the whole ideology is self destructive right like if anybody happens to see you eating with your helmet off, that you you're out of the cult. If somebody, if you take your helmet off accidentally, all these things. If you do this, that, and the other, you're out of the cult. And as far as she's concerned, there's no way to get back in because Mandalore was was toxic. Well, who told her Mandalore was toxic? Why is she spreading this rumor around? If they don't know any other Mandalorians, how do they find out? Um, a lot of questions there. Also, the fact that she's not a true believer, right? We we find out that when Bo-Katan is trying to tell her about the Mythosaur she's like that's not real that's a vision visions are cool um i think it was very telling that even this like zealot here as part of this cult didn't really believe in the mythosaur and i think there was even a moment there if you can look through the helmet where maybe she starts to reconsider what she's doing how she's thinking um and yeah i think i think that's that's the end of that besides i have a lot to harp on the fact that her own everything she teaches her people is very self-destructive and silly and seems like a way of trying to like wither away the last bits of the, the yeah, yeah, no fair enough. It could be an an imp under the helmet. It's a very convenient uh, religion that you're not allowed to ever see what anybody looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No, it's,
0: it's interesting. I mean, you know, the one counter I would say is, you know, as far as her not practicing her own religion, I mean, show me the cult leader that does right. Like so often they, they vary the leader. It's, kind of it's, weird, it's a spiritual leader in any way, uh, you know. It the seems it, keeper. It seems that way, but uh, but anyway, yeah. I think I think both solid cases, and and truthfully, while you while you both were talking, you you've kind of uh, swayed me just a little bit, and I, I I agree. I wouldn't be surprised by either of those, but I will say I think it's axe wolves um the the Mandalorian who is with Bo uh I think he's the most likely simply because of what he hasn't been there for you know if you go back in time he uh, unless I'm just absolutely blanking he was not there when they attacked Gideon's ship you know he wasn't there uh Koska Reeves was uh he was not and um furthermore you move forward he was the one who was being uh the pirate king being the pirate leader. Also, he got that ship. How did he? How did he get that ship? How did he get Gideon's ship? And, and and why did, you know, why did the Imperial Remnant just just chill and let that happen? You know, that seems like something that they might have resisted a bit more. Uh, maybe they they looked the other way a little bit more just because he was there. Also, it really starts to get dicey when we get to Mandalore itself because when the bullets start flying or the plasma. Uh, he's the one who volunteers to to make a break to go get reinforcements, so-called. Uh, but really, he wouldn't have to, to be in a position to, to shoot too many Imperials or anything like that. So he makes that break, and then he goes. And the last piece of evidence that I have, aside from him just not being there when most of these things are happening, is that Gideon knows that Bo-Katan has the Darksaber. And... You know, I suppose that any of these spies could have could have done that, but the fact that that Gideon knew that Bo Katan had the dark saber, uh, I think that's something that that leans heavily on Axe's side because he was the one who initially saw her take it and uh, and saw her come into possession of it. So I, I, we'll 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 have to see, but I bet when the other shoe drops, I, I think it's my boy Axe. I,
1: I actually think that's that's an interesting point too because I hadn't really thought about that. If it's not a continuity error, it's important. Because there's another point that we've kind of all missed, because we're all still talking about Mandalorians, but that little teaser at the end of the previous episode, or one of the previous episodes, where they find the ship that Moff Gideon was broken out of, and there's Beskar armor in the ship. I think that adds credence to the fact that Elia Kane is not the only spy, besides plurality here of the title. I think there's definitely some sort of spy going on in the Mandalorians. We had the question of, what was the, are these super commandos coming back, whatever... Um, but it doesn't seem like this was something that Moff Gideon had before he got broken out. It seems like he never even made it to trial, which yep. means he was broken out pretty pretty shortly after the previous time we saw him. So there were Mandalorians that had to have done it. He didn't build this super commando army before he was still using the, the robot dart troopers.
0: True. And the last little piece that I'll say is that if you look at the Mandalorians who have famously and emphatically worked with the Empire, particularly Gar Saxon. And end of list. <laughs> it's they are always they're Brits, Death Watch, right? They're Brits, and yeah, you know, uh, I yeah. uh, he his accent is just he's got the attitude. He's yeah. he is straight up imp trooper and uh, imp officer, and, and and you know, I I wonder if the boy was raised he has on also Coruscant. You know?
1: He has expressed hostility towards Din and is not being really Mandalorian either, and he has plenty of reason not to like Bo-Katan. So I think the only person we can probably eliminate is casca reeves um even if even if not just that that interaction where bo-katan's about to tell everybody that she did surrender and her whole story and it's very clear that Cosca reeves is like whoa, whoa you don't have to do this you you know there's good body language and acting going on there yeah i think i think it was clear that she was on her side and to your point she was there fighting against moff gideon so i i you know you might have convinced me that it's more ax wolves i definitely picked up on the you know he conveniently left battle immediately right before too but you know there's a lot of a lot of possibilities and i think this is this is all credit to the writing right that we're even having such a long conversation about who could be it's an interesting tidbit that they threw in with the title that we probably wouldn't even be having this question absolutely except they kind of teed it up so now we can talk about well who who are all these people and where are they going i think it's all very interesting
0: yeah and speaking of where they're going uh, i think we lost (laughs) eric so we'll wait for him to join back up but while uh While he does that, uh, I'd be very curious to see, Michael, what do you have for the finale? You got any, uh, you know, harebrained theories that you want to throw at us? What are you expecting? Is there, if there's not a cliffhanger, what's the big, oh, shoot moment that they like to drop in there? Season one, it was the Darksaber. Season two, it's Luke. What are we, uh, what are we going to get? What are you expecting?
1: So I don't want to get your hopes up here. Just say, don't Uh, you take mine.
0: You know what I'm going to say.
1: I know, I know what yours is um i think there's a couple things i think i'll be disappointed if we don't see the mythosaur if we don't see bo katan riding the mythosaur in a battle kind of boba fett style dark saber in hand uh that's what i'm wanting at very least i think we talked about before the show that it's it's very unlike mandalorian thus far and even boba fett to end a season on a cliffhanger so i don't think we're looking at that um but I do think we we also know from some of the news that was dropped this last uh, couple weeks for Star Wars Celebration that this is not the final battle. So I don't think Moff Gideon's out at this point. I think there's going to be more potentially around the Mandoverse, around Mandalore. I don't think Mandalore is going to be won in this last episode, even though this season likes to wrap things up very quickly. I'd like to see the Mythosaur come back and play out. But other than that. I will keep my thoughts about, you know, the other potential drop in, in interesting cameo that we might see. <laughs> I let you I let you do that one.
0: Yeah, no, I think uh you know and, and and listen, the 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 audience hasn't gotten to know me quite so well yet, but if there's one thing that I am known for, it is just sheer adoration for Grand Admiral Mithra Nerodo, and I cannot wait <laughs> For when he comes back next episode, it's going to be absolutely amazing i am so excited it was set up you know gideon comes in he's throwing shade at pelion who is thron's right hand man and he's saying you know <laughs> where is thron he's always hiding you know he's always 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 busy what's going on you know he's always hanging out off screen where is he how are we supposed to rally behind this guy and it would just be so cool because gideon's getting a little uppity gideon's getting a little you know big for his britches he tries to come out and throw his weight around and then at the end of the episode we see everyone's favorite chiss come out and just say you know some some kind of epic just just totally dismantle him and uh we've talked about too that he's
1: Gideon's kind of playing Thrawn's game with this whole understanding of their culture trying to use their culture against right like that's kind of Thrawn's playbook it wouldn't be surprising to find a lot of you. this in
0: the end. <laughs> to defeat an enemy, you must know them—not <laughs> just their battle tactics, but their history, culture, art. No, but this is this is my theory, and I'm I'm dying. I can't wait. He looked so good at celebration. I'm all in. That's my that's my harebrained theory, Eric. Welcome back. You dropped off the hollow yeah. not being good yeah, to you.
2: Reporting in. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> we got tornado warnings, sirens going off here, and oh my gosh, uh, here where I'm at in St. Louis. So uh, yeah, sorry, for, sorry for disconnecting.
0: Wow. Well, I hope everything's okay. I hope you're in the bunker and everything's
2: squared away. So. Far so good, you know. I'm I'm am com- committed to the podcast. I'm committed to the message. I will stay on the air even <laughs> as the building around me comes down.
0: Imperial troops have entered the base. Imperial troops have entered the
2: Exactly. <laughs> All right, go ahead, man. Transport. We
0: we were talking about uh, our our hair theories for the finale, and if you had yeah. anything you were looking forward to, uh, just just tell me what you're thinking and leave the folks with some with some thoughts.
2: You know, I I genuinely believe um, I I don't think the Din Dinjarin question gets solved in the finale. I think that's left open ended and uh, head, heading into a you know into a season four. Um, I think I think it's about I think really the the I think the episode will really be about um, how Bo Katan reconciles the loss of Dinjarin, how she deals with Grogu how she you know what is this relationship with the armor um how, how does she put the pieces back together after you know stumbling into the ambush so I really think the episode's going to be focused on Bo-Katan um and uh, we will probably
0: Arnar Arnar oh man I think we lost yeah. him I think we lost him well he's excited about Bo-Katan as am I I'm I'm very intrigued to see what happens. I think it's going to be great, and we will be here. We're going to talk about it with everybody next time, and uh, I can't wait. I cannot wait. This finale is going to be amazing. Um, so freaking excited, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll be here to discuss it. This has been on program. On program.